Hi, good morning. It's Wendy Steinberg, your caffeinated college coach. And I'm coming on because I realized after having the pleasure of interviewing so many different people about their journey personally and professionally to who they are now, where they are now, I never shared my story. And not that it's, you know, all that amazing, but you can get popcorn and get comfy. All right. Um, So I am the youngest of three kids. I was born and raised in Denver, Colorado, and I still consider Colorado my home state and always will, even though I'm in Cincinnati now. Um, And one thing that I found to be a common thread throughout all of the different interviews that I've done for people in my generation, which is Gen X, is there really wasn't the thought that you wouldn't go to college. Now, I know now there's so many different other ways to make a living. You can be an influencer. You can own your own business. You can do several things simultaneously. Um, Really, when I look back as to what the next steps were in high school, it was really very linear, one-dimensional. You're going to go to college. You will pick a career, and that's what you'll do for 30 to 40 years. I saw my father do that. He was an accountant with the state of Colorado for close to 30 years. Um, Grandparents, everything like that. But as our world has changed, so much more has affected what that professional outlook really looks like. And I definitely had my blinders on. You know, I went to high school in, in Aurora, Colorado. I was in the band and I was active in my Jewish youth organization. And really, those were my two outlets. Um, I, <laughs> I'm i not the best test taker, all right? Um, my GPA was great, um, definitely in the mid to high 3.0-ishes. Um, but I could not take a test to reflect my true academic talent to save my life. I really couldn't. Um, It was so bad that in college I had to go to the counseling center and they would put in a cassette, yes, a cassette tape, and I would sit in this dark room a couple hours before a test for whatever class I had, and it worked. You know, I would go from getting D's on tests that I knew I knew the information to getting a B, which, you know, I'd take it any day. Um, But how I determined where to go to college um, just kind of shows you how limited my worldview was, how um, I just didn't have the maturity or the global um, awareness uh, of how to live for myself and pick a college good for me. And even though I just turned 50, um, I'm seeing those similar patterns throughout my whole life. So I'm in high school. My best friend is Kelly English. And she was in band too. She was like an all-state trumpet player. And um, I was not all-state. I was barely a French horn player, but we won't go there. That's another another podcast. Um, so anyway, Kelly and I hung out together religiously and um, we decided that we were going to go to the University of Northern Colorado. That was just what we decided. Now my older brother and my older sister went to community college first and then they had planned to transfer 
to Metro, which is the Metropolitan State College of Denver. And I didn't want to do that. I don't want to stay at home anymore. I wanted to like go to a four year and UNC was 90 minutes north. And so I didn't feel like it was too far away, but it was far enough away for me to establish my independence, my autonomy, kind of figure out who Wendy was, right? Um, so the whole test taking thing played a factor because when I would take the ACT, which at the time, this is 1988, 1989, um, SAT wasn't required for UNC. And um, I just, for the life of me, could not get a composite that was really a reflection of where I was academically. And so I remember one time my mom drove me and Kelly up to UNC to retake the ACT in the testing center. And we had to get a certain number on the ACT so we would have, so we could skip sun, uh, summer school beforehand and go right into fall semester because financial aid wasn't going to pay for summer school, the summer of 1989. Um, and we didn't really want to spend our last summer after high school, you know, in Greeley, going to college, um, paying out of pocket, getting a job, being responsible, you know, the usual. So we finally passed the ACT with the appropriate number in order to get in um, without the summer school and without paying out of pocket. And we were so excited. Um, so pretty much what I'm trying to say is I just picked my college because my friends were going. It wasn't only Kelly. Um, it was my friend Eric who was in band, my friend Jeanette who was in band. Um, and there were quite a few other people from my high school that were going to UNC. And I was just like, I mean, I know it was a big enough campus where I wouldn't see them daily. Um, but it was, you know, nice size where I could see them across campus and feel a connection to home. So that's how I picked my college. Um, didn't do much research as to what I wanted for my major. Um, during this time, this is when FAFSA was um, an NC3 copy. You had like a yellow, a tan, and a pink copy, and you filled it out on paper. It was like an 11 by 14 paper. You had to pay extra stamps to get there. It took six to eight weeks to get it back. Then you had to review the FAFSA and then send it back. And then hopefully you would get awarded some money. Now, because I was paying for my undergraduate and then later my graduate degree out of pocket by myself, um, I qualified for a Pell Grant. I got the subsidized loan, the unsubsidized loan. Should have taken a little bit more responsibility and some financial literacy as to what that meant. Um, I did not realize that the unsubsidized loan meant that the moment I accepted the loan, the interest was going to add up. And then when I graduated, I was responsible for those five years of accepting that loan um, because I did take a victory lap because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I mean, my freshman year, I declared psychology. I didn't know what that meant. I just thought, okay, psychology, I'm going to do it. Don't know what that means. 
I knew I couldn't teach, right? Because I knew I would need a graduate degree for psychology. And once I started getting into my classes and realizing the lab work and um, the different nuances of what was necessary to successfully be a psychology major, I switched to teaching, which at this point, I lacked so much self-confidence, self-esteem, to put myself in front of children and try and teach them something um, was very scary to me. So I remember I began my clinicals at UNC, and I was an English major, hoping to teach English, social studies, language arts, whatever, in elementary school. And for some reason, I got placed in a fourth grade math class. And I'm pretty sure my math skills were not yet at the fourth grade level, if the ACT uh, had any sort of reflection of that. And it was just, and I mean, everything, there's no coincidences. There was a reason why I was in the fourth grade math class. And it was just because um, it was a wake-up call. Like, Wendy, this is not you. This is not your wheelhouse. This is not going to speak to your gifts. Um, And so at the time, I was like in the second semester of my junior year, and I needed to do something, you know. Um, So I just switched to liberal arts with a focus in English and a minor in psychology. And because I had switched my major now for the third time, it was going to take me an extra semester, And I decided that I would just take the extra year so that I could graduate with my friends. Yes, could you just see where my priorities are at? Um, And then, you know, graduating in May of 94, then I would be on the same, I guess, playing field as everyone else and trying to get a job and graduating and moving forward with our lives that summer. Um, While I was in college, I was very active. Um, So my junior year of college, I became active in our programming council. And so I was responsible for bringing comedians to campus. And I worked with this other group of students to help, you know, bring entertainment to campus. And so this was my junior year. And, um, You know, we had brought Polly Shore, we brought um, some ventriloquists, ventriloquists, there, I I said it right, and then, you know, we, it was just an amazing experience working with um, all these other comedians that you would see on MTV, and I don't know, it was a lot, a lot of fun, and I got paid tuition and fees for being on the programming council at the University of Northern Colorado. So, but because I was going to school full-time and then doing the programming council, um, I didn't have a lot of time to work to make money. So I continued to take the Pell Grant and the student loans so that I had some money to actually live on, to buy my books, um, you know, things like that. to to buy food, you know, the usual. At this point, I was living off campus. I had lived on campus for my freshman and sophomore year. My junior year, I lived off campus. 
And then even though I tried to um, reapply and, you know, I interviewed again to be on this programming council, it didn't work out. Um, So I applied to be a resident assistant. And at the University of Northern Colorado, this particular year, they had resident assistants for programming. So it was an RAP, right? So my first senior year, I was selected to be an RAP. And there were only um, a handful of us because there was one per building. Now at UNC, there's so many more housing options. The um, staffing structure is just totally different because it's a different um, demographic of students we're serving. So, but back then, back then, oh my gosh, I'm so old. Um, But way back in the day, I was an RAP in um, Turner Hall. And I just supported the other resident assistants in their programming efforts. Um, I was responsible for like bulletin boards, um, trying to hit the ground running with a ton of programming so that our first year, second year students really um, felt connected to campus. And um, we all know that that is a big indicator of retention. So I did that my first senior year. And then my second senior year, I was actually elected to the student government of UNC, and I was an RA. So one paid tuition and fees, one paid room and board. I was taking full-time load of classes, so I couldn't work. So I still took out the loans and the Pell Grant so that I had money, you know, because even though my room and board was paid for and my tuition and fees were paid for, I mean, there was no money still and I had no time to work. I mean, I was working those two jobs, but I wasn't getting anything, you know, what I would say liquid so that I could go to coffees and uh, the Smiling Moose and other places in Greeley that um, I absolutely adored. So needless to say, I was really busy on campus and it was my second senior year where, um, you know, I was told that student affairs is actually a field. So I thought having had two years being in the residence um, halls as a residential life staff member, you know, being involved with programming, being involved with student government, all that good juicy stuff, that would really set a strong you know, foundation for me to go into higher education and student affairs. So after I graduated from the University of Northern Colorado in May of 94, excuse me, um, I was hired on at Northwest Missouri State University in Maryville, Missouri, Um, a very small community, um, very, very close-knit, vibrant. I learned so much being a hall director for two years. Um, One year in South Complex, which is from what I have been told is no longer there. And then um, one year in Hudson Hall, which was all female. And there were a lot of uh, good stories that I could share, but we might need an adult beverage. That's a different podcast altogether. Um, And I realized during my second year as a hall director that in student affairs, really the next step is to get your graduate degree. So um, I ended up going to 
Emporia State University, which is in Emporia, Kansas. And I was in a program for Master's of Science in Student Personnel Services in Higher Education. And this is where I met um, some of my closest friends, a, a true mentor, Dr. Dollarhide. Um, and, you know, it, it, it taught me a lot. I only stayed in housing for a semester um, because for me individually, I was going through a lot. Um, if we rewind back to why I um, selected my college, you know, it was just because my friends were going there. Why was I involved on campus? Because I wanted to feel a sense of community. I wanted to fit in. I wanted to make sure that um, I wasn't forgotten or disappeared or it was, you know, when I look back on my motivations, I just was really looking for a family, to be honest. Um, and so my second year at Northwest uh, Missouri State University, I went to the Oshkosh Placement Exchange um, and I interviewed and I, you know, got hired on, like I said, at Emporia State University one semester as a hall director and I started volunteering at the shelter for victims of domestic violence um it was like an unmarked home and right in the middle of everything nobody really knew what it was and so Tuesday nights I started sleeping over at the shelter I would talk to women who would call throughout the night I would help with intake for women and children that came through in the evenings. Um, whatever they needed, I assisted them. I slept on a couch and, you know, that's what I did for my, the second semester of my, my first year in graduate school. That spring, I actually got hired on in a full-time role at the shelter and I collaborated with um, the Women's Center at Emporia State University. Um, we did some really phenomenal programs, Take Back the Night, um, Sexual Assault Prevention. There was a wonderful gentleman, um, a student, he must have been like 6'5", huge. And, you know, he was one of our best peer mentors to talk to our student population about um, statistics of sexual assault, the um, definitions, the prevention. It was just, he was just such a good example of you didn't need to be a woman to um, support and advocate for women. So I do remember that we would do a lot of outreach to the smaller communities throughout Kansas and go driving and um, have a lot of talks at high schools about the same information. Um, you know, it's it's definitely a lot of information for young adults in high school. Um, and the response, you know, people would giggle and laugh. And, you know, we really hope that even if we reached a handful of students that we would, you know, make an impression that was long lasting. And so I did that um, as well as working in the Office of Multicultural Student Affairs 
and um, getting my graduate degree in two years. And during this time, looking back on my um, undergraduate um, loans and financial situation, is I, um, when I was working in housing, I had room and board, like I had an apartment, I had an office, everything was in the residence hall. Um, but for 18 months, I lived off campus, I had my own apartment. Um, and there was a financial piece that I really needed to learn on how to save money, um, pay my lo- uh, bills on time, things like that. Um, but I did graduate with my master's uh, in May of 88, 1988, or 19, no, 1998. Oh my God. And I have had coffee, my friends. Um, so I did graduate in May of 1998 and um, was hired to come to Cincinnati to work with the Hillel Jewish Student Center. And most campuses, like they might have a Marcus Garvey Center um, to meet the needs of different populations that attend college. Because nobody can really speak to that experience except for those people who, you know, were born and raised in that particular either religion, culture, race, etc. And so there is something called Hillel Jewish Student Centers. Um, and as uh, a Jewish student, and knowing that sometimes, I mean, you're you're not obviously Jewish unless you're um, very Orthodox, and then sometimes you might see, you know, the white shirt, the, the suit, the hats, um, you know, women being completely covered and modest. But for the most part, on a college campus, you can't tell who's Jewish and who isn't. So, I was hired on to create. Um, engaging programming, and it really wasn't a good fit. And I think this was the beginning of my career in trying to ask the right questions, trying to seek the right supervisors, and trying to find a place where I could land and that I really fit in, you know, that I was not only supported professionally and given the development I needed to thrive in my job, but also to be celebrated for who I was personally and liked for who I am. And so once I stopped working at Hillel, I was hired on at the College of Mount St. Joseph in Cincinnati, Ohio, um, just 30 minutes from the University of Cincinnati. And it's now the University of Mount St. Joseph. And I worked as director of residence life there for two years. Um, And I really, really loved it. Uh, The students there were so fierce, so determined, incredibly brilliant. And um, I left that job because I was dating someone at the time. We became engaged and we moved. So... Really, since that time, um, and I got married in 2001, so it's been about 20 years since I worked at the Mount. Um, And the same, I guess, I'm trying to find the word for it. You know, the same issues, I guess, keep popping up. You know, why do I choose the jobs that I do? Why am I in this field? 
I know a lot of times we look back on how we found our place and the jobs we have and, you know, it hasn't been linear or one-dimensional. We've been all over the place. There's been experiences that have shaped us and, um, I love being in higher education. I really do. I love students. I, I love the feel of the new semesters starting, um, collaborating with faculty and other staff on campus. And I know what it's like to be a first year lower socioeconomic, um, you know, person trying to navigate the college process. And it can be um, intimidating in many different ways. Um, And the learning curve is really, really hard. And so I kind of value my past experiences as a way to help other students um, make sure not only that they don't make the same mistakes as me because they're going to make their own, but to just have an awareness of some of the nuances that I wasn't aware of as I started college at 17. You know, it, I just had, I I don't even know. Um, I'm lucky to be alive. Let's just say that. Um, but so that's how I found my place at being a college administrator and, um, helping other people get through the process of getting into college. And for me, Um, knowing my own tendencies to try and, I don't want to say enable others or um, be codependent or anything like that, but a big part of student development theory is to empower students to advocate on their own and and learn from their own experience. Um, And that's been hard for me. You know, I know students need to actually do the work to learn and to get the outcome on their own. And so... Um, for my own professional development, that's kind of where I'm at. Um, and I loved this program called Made to Do This with Kathy Heller. And I know I've interviewed several people on the podcast about it. And it came at a time where um, I, I didn't see, I didn't recognize myself. Um, I was living with my three boys in a small apartment and we had been there for about two and a half years and um, I had asked for a divorce from my then husband. Um, We had gotten divorced. Everything was um, finalized in January of 19 and we're living in this small apartment and COVID hits and so I have one child at the dining room table I have one child on the couch, I have one child on the bunk bed, and I'm working from my own bedroom, um, trying to make sure that as they are going through their remote learning, that I'm also meeting with my students remotely. And, um, you know, I was, I felt like I was kind of slipping away. And, um, So this program came up um, through Facebook, and I had seen it several times uh, with her initial cohort, and I kept scrolling by, scrolling by, and I just thought, you know, um, I don't know what a five-day free master class is, 
And I'm not sure if I could really, you know, benefit from that. And so I showed up every night at 7 p.m. Eastern time to hear what Kathy had to say. And how naive I am, I didn't really realize that it was a pitch for then a coaching program called Made to Do This, you know, to find the inner light, the inner potential, what we're passionate about, and just do it, you know. Um, And so I signed up to do it. And I was put with the most amazing group of women that I really, you know, you feel so, or at least I felt so narrow. Here's COVID. I'm working from my bed in this 900 square foot um, apartment. I am helping my boys. There's this fear of a worldwide pandemic. And having this connection to these absolutely phenomenal, inspiring women and a few men. I saw you guys. Um, it, It kind of gave me my voice back. Um, whereas I had felt diminished and, um, unvalued for many years. I, I found this platform where, and I was a lurker. Like I showed up every week. Mondays were the content call. Thursdays were implementation. Throughout the week you were put with a pod. I was pod 10. What, what? And we would meet um, and tell every tell our pod, you know, cohorts what we were doing, get inspiration, direction, you know, we would just go with it. And so for three meetings a week for 12 weeks, I invested in myself, which is unheard of because um, if my friend Cindy Kuhn could tell you, she was my best friend and still is from my undergraduate at UNC. Um, I rarely, even though I was an English major, I rarely finished a book. You know, there was a quiz and I got all of them wrong. Like I was trying to read too much. You know, when you're taking 18 credits, you're an English major. You have to read seven books throughout the semester for each class. You know what? You're going to slip. But here I was in this amazing coaching program called Made to Do This. Um, Kathy Heller has a podcast called Don't Quit Your Day Job, or um, Don't Keep Your Day Job. And, um, you know, it spoke to me. Uh, I can do things that are not for 30 years. I don't have to follow a schedule or a formula that is so flat that I forget to live, you know? And so I took on, part of the the program is to develop your passion, What tap into that, tap into who you wanted to be at age seven, um, figure out what some of the limiting beliefs were, and then develop, you know, this plan for you as an individual, as a man, as a woman, to, to take your gifts to the next level. And so I knew that having been at the time a college administrator for 20 plus years and helping students do that, that I wanted to somehow um, help families create 
a more seamless, less painful process in, in college coaching. And so I tried creating programs and workshops. I learned MailChimp. I learned how to do a PayPal button. I know, right? Um, I learned Calendly, Kahoot, Canva, you name it. Um, and I'm still trying to figure out some of this stuff myself. Um, but I never really took the time since I started having kids to kind of focus on something that was inspirational to myself. And so in a way, not to sound like a total cheese ball, but like, you know, Kathy's program kind of saved me a little bit. You know, I was able to connect um, online to all these fierce, amazing women and men and um, invest back into myself. And so I created the Caffeinated College Coach. Um, It's a podcast. It's private coaching. Um, You know, sometimes I will put out an ad or an offer for different types of workshops regarding financial aid and scholarships or the college essay or things like that. Because sometimes just having somebody you don't know review your essay or help you navigate FAFSA or um, connect with references and how to have that communication to secure the Common App, um, individual campus applications. Um, You know what, since COVID, everything is so different. College visits are different. A lot of it is more virtual. Um, I have heard from friends and family that they have gone to campuses, but you're not walking around in a huge group anymore. Um, You're very limited as to where you can go on campus. There's different policies for testing, the ACT and SAT, what does that look like? And so knowing that I had this background in higher education, I really thought that I could provide a service to others. And right now I'm focusing on the Caffeinated College Coach podcast because getting to know so many other people in their process, in their journey, it's, it's like I don't even know how people got through some of the stuff they did and they're still standing. They provided themselves a lucrative career and when I'm done interviewing people, I am so inspired. I'm like, I can do that. No, I can't be a scientist like Brenda. But, you know, I, I can't be a midwife like Eliana. But I can keep going. And there were so many times in my life where I've been tested, you know, and didn't think I could keep going. And I know so many people feel this way, right? So growing up, you know, my brother, Miles, had muscular dystrophy. He was three years older than me. And, you know, back then in 1968, he was diagnosed in 73. You know, they my parents were told that he wouldn't graduate high school. He would be dead before high school. He'd be in a wheelchair by the time he was 10. And he lived until he was 33. 
and he was never in a wheelchair. And that was beating the odds. That's pretty fierce. Um, yeah, during high school, my um, father became a paraplegic, and that was an adjustment for our whole family, right? Um, so he was in the hospital from January to June of 88, 1988 this time. I knew it was in there. Um and that was my sister's uh, spring semester of her senior year. And we spent a lot of time in the hospital. Now, this is when it wasn't comfort care where you could be in the room with your family member. This was when um, you wouldn't be in this huge room with other people. You could only visit your loved one in the ICU for five minutes on the hour, every hour, except for at shift change. And it would be those hours that we either went to breakfast or went to dinner. And so that happened in high school. And when I look back as to, you know, how things happened, how I'm here, um, it's, it can be, to me, unexplainable. Um, my brother, like I said, passed away at 33 a week before my wedding. And it was, I don't know. It, I don't know how I got through that. It was definitely the strength of my parents and my sister, who for sure I didn't give enough credit to. And, and then my sister passed away. Um, four years later, and my mom passed away five days after I gave birth to my youngest son. So it's been 12 and a half years there. And then my father passed away three years after that. So within 11 years, I lost my entire family. And it just... It gave me pause, you know, it really gave me pause. Um, All those things I thought were important, Um, the materialistic accumulations that I desired so much as a child in college through my marriage, um, just went away, you know. My focus was totally raising my kids, um, Max, Chaim, and Noam, to be like amazing, delicious human beings and to give them the example that even though there's adversity, you can still create a, a life. Um, and I'm not sure if I'm doing that. Some days I am, some days I'm not. Um, I definitely feel like a lifetime movie some days um, because all I can really do is the bare minimum, go to work, come home, and go to bed, you know, and I think that might speak to a lot of us lately, and um, so even though I felt obligated as a high school student to go to college, I went to college, I went to graduate school, I accumulated all these student loans, I paid them off, I got married, had three kids, got divorced, um, you know, I'm still here 
Um, I'm like, I'm going to cry. I don't want to cry. I'm not going to cry. I'm going to get a coffee. Um, you know, it, it really, I think that's really my story is that I'm just still here. You know, I really thought I would be vice president of student affairs one day, but after my son Max was born, um, who has special needs, I stopped working for five and a half years. I had another child. I went back to work, had another child. Um, Really, your whole priorities change. That whole, like, ego of wanting to be in charge of student affairs and, and help students out in that capacity had to really be refocused to my own family and to my kids and... And although I'll never be vice president of student affairs, I'm really proud to be a mom. I'm really happy to be employed. Um, You know, I still sit with this huge, huge lump of grief. It just, I carry it with me daily, daily. And um, I'm not rich. I have um, county benefits. I have a master's degree and I have county benefits. And I think there's more of us out there than would like to admit. And it's humbling. It is extremely humbling. And I still feel so grateful and so blessed because I'm a mom of Max, Chaim, and Noam. I have a job. I have a house. Um, And it, you know, my story is like everybody else's. It's really, I'm no one special. We all have our challenges. We all have these hurdles to overcome. Um, but I'm learning every day that it can be done. And I have the friendships and the mentors that help push me through when I need to. And I'm grateful, always grateful for their love and support. And so. If you are interested in sharing your story um, on how you got to where you are, college or otherwise, I would just love to hear from you. Um, I get inspired. I get so much strength from listening to other people's journey. Um, I'm just really being super selfish. That's all. Um, Anyway, so I hope you guys have a great day and you stay caffeinated. Really, thank you for giving me this time for you to get to know me as I continue to develop my podcast and my private college coaching and really just take care of each other and be well.